What's going on, Renaissance family? My name is Jordan. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm really grateful that you joined us for our online service. Before we get into today's message, I want to pray a little bit and invite God's presence into our homes, into our hearts, so that we can hear from him uh, in this message today. Heavenly Father, uh, you promise us in scripture that you will come to us and speak to us and you will speak directly to us in times. And Lord, with so many heavy hearts and emotions, Lord, so many of us, we just we need to hear from you, something fresh from you. So I pray that in these moments, you would use me to say something real to your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. About 10 or 15 years ago, I was a youth pastor. And even though that was a while ago, I still remember one kid that used to come to our youth group. I remember him because he ended up leaving our church and also leaving Christianity altogether. One of his biggest frustrations was that the house he grew up in always gave these nice, neatly packaged, Christian cliche answers to some of life's most difficult problems. And in today's day, we have enough things to be worried about, let alone the discouragement, the added discouragement of not understanding God, or even worse, having God, or putting God into this nice, neat box to try to understand some of life's most difficult problems. Now, I thought that in New York, we were trending in the right direction. And I thought that nationally and internationally, we were trending in the right direction with regards to the pandemic. And certainly there's been some really good progress medically um, in, on that front. We've seen a whole lot less hospitalizations and a lot less deaths and a lot less new cases and things were starting to look up. I started to feel more comfortable and, and more relaxed. And that was until a couple of weeks ago when um, there's been a whole new different type of pandemic that has been showing new signs of resurgence. This one is not called by, caused by a virus. This one is caused by white supremacy. A few weeks ago, first it was Ahmaud Arbery who was gunned down while going for a jog. Then it was Breonna Taylor gunned down in her own home. And just a few days ago, uh, we see uh, there's images and videos surfacing of George Floyd, a man who was killed by police officers in Minneapolis. Now, being perfectly honest, this has unearthed some things inside of me that makes it incredibly difficult to want to be a pastor or a preacher or let alone even have faith because life right now just feels painful and confusing. And the last thing that I would want is someone to toss me a nice, neat Christian cliche. So what do we do in these moments where we don't feel like we have answers or there really is no, no good answer? In this past couple of days, I've been thinking about what is it that would get me to a place where I could follow Jesus with integrity, with my whole heart, and although I would properly grieve the, the things that I'm feeling and I wouldn't ignore those things, that I would still have faith in God. Certainly, it's moments like this, more than anything else, that make me struggle in my faith. So I turn to scripture and I turn to some people who I think will lead us in a conversation and lead us in a path that no matter where you're at, whether it's the pandemic, if it's the, the recent um, surge of televised surge, at least in uh, killings of uh, extrajudicial extra killings of unarmed black people, whatever it is in your life that's causing anxiety and stress, I, I wanted to turn to scripture to think about what are the answers what should we do in moments like this? 
The first thing I thought about um, actually comes right off the heels of what we talked about last Sunday. Last Sunday, we talked about grumbling and how grumbling is this inward discontent expressed to the wrong person. Today, we're talking about something that is not grumbling. We're talking about bringing our complaints to God, who is the right person. The scripture that we referenced last week comes from Psalm 142 and 2, where uh, David, the author, says, I pour out my complaint before him. I reveal my trouble to him. The thing that I was really thinking about this week has been one of the first steps that we need to take in order to move forward in faith and to be a people who walk with God is we need to be honest. We need to be really brutally honest. One of the things I've recommended to people during this pandemic has been to pray through the Psalms. And as, as I was thinking about it today, almost half of the Psalms are what's called laments. They are complaints. They are uh, people expressing sadness. So if you were just to pray through the Psalm, if you don't know how to pray uh, on your own, if you're new to prayer, or if you just to say for this next however many days or weeks, I'm just gonna pray whatever the Psalms teach me to pray, then about half of them would be negative things to God. They'd be complaints, they'd be frustrations, they'd be accusations against God. What does that tell us about the nature of God and God's people? It tells us a couple of things. One, it tells us that God can handle our emotions and it is an act of faith to bring our complaints to him. It is not an act of faith to pretend that you are not angry. It is not an act of faith to pretend that you are not sad or scared, but it is an act of faith to bring your anger, your frustration, your anxiety to God. One of the things I've been feeling the last couple of days has just been this anxiety. And every time I talk to my therapist about it, she oftentimes asks me what else is going on in my life because anxiety is a mask emotion. Uh, anxiety a lot of times is a mask emotion that we feel it because it's masking for something else. And in this case, it's, it's anger for me. So I turned to the Psalms this week uh, to guide me in my prayer. And here's one Psalm uh, right at the Bible. This is biblical prayer, y'all, right at the Bible that talks about um, these things. Here's uh, David and he's praying. He says, Lord, why do you stand so far away? Why do you hide in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked relentlessly pursue their victims. Let them be caught in the schemes they have devised. In all his scheming, the wicked person arrogantly thinks there's no accountability since there's no God. He waits in ambush in their settlements he kills the innocent in secret places. His eyes are on the lookout for the helpless. Rise up, Lord God, lift your hands. Do not forget the oppressed. What David is saying here in this psalm is something that I felt this week. God, where are you? Why do you just keep letting this stuff happen? Right, it's enough that we're going through an, an international pandemic, but why would you continue to let this stuff happen over and over and over again? And surely what we're seeing now is not even an increased uh, amount of things that are happening, but we're just starting to film the things and those things are spreading more throughout social media. But in my heart of hearts, the feeling that I was feeling is anger and frustration. Like, God, seriously, like, where are you in times when people really need you? Why would you continue to let this happen? Now, in praying honestly like that, one, I'm praying biblically, but two, I'm also getting in touch with what's really going on on the inside of me. And that is actually what creates a real relationship. Intimacy is always on the other side of conflict. In every single relationship, 
There's always opportunities for intimacy, for growth, for connection, and those come on the opposite side of conflict. Now, make no mistake about it, conflict can certainly break things up, or conflict can make things even closer. And one of the things I'm reminded, in, uh, reminded of are the people who follow God the closest. The people who have the deepest love for God oftentimes are the ones that God has broken the most. In this week, uh, I prayed some pretty honest prayers, and I, I really encourage you to do that. Uh, my prayer is really modeled after David here in Psalm 10. It's, it's an accusation, God, why are you so far away? I don't, I don't know what the answer would be. I don't care what the answer is, but you just seem to be letting things happen that are so exponential that it, it just feels absolutely ridiculous. And for many of you, if it's not um, these, these killings, if it's just the pandemic and, and God allowed your loved one to die or God allowed your job to be taken away while everybody else seems to be doing fine in, in their jobs. God, like, why did you, why do you stand so far away from me? These are heartfelt prayers that I think um, uh, God hears and God respects and God invites these kind of open and honest prayers. Uh, the, the second thing that uh, David says in this prayer that really touches me, he, he, he talks about the arrogant and the wicked and how their, their evil is increasing because there's no accountability. And that just really hit home. And there's been so many times where there's been an extrajudicial killing of an unarmed black person and there's no accountability. And you just see it continue to multiply and get more and more emboldened because there is no accountability. So the first thing I did this week is to pray with honesty, trusting that God can handle my raw and real emotions and he can do the same thing for you. The second thing I did this week is to empty myself of what I thought I knew. So much of Christianity is not just acquiring new information, but it's also emptying ourselves of the things that we thought we knew and the way that we thought the world uh, has to work. Some people say it like this, that the, the journey of a disciple is to learn, to unlearn, and to relearn, and that your life will continually be in the process of learning new things, unlearning some stuff that is untrue, and then relearning the stuff that God wants for you to have. So much of my life has been devoted as an American Christian to learning new things, going to conferences, reading books, listening to sermons, and all of these things are good. But what real deep discipleship is, real deep following Jesus, is not just acquiring new information, it is also unlearning some things that we previously held to be true. One of the things that I previously held to be true is this concept that God has to reward people for how good they are. And this is basically the essence of religion. The basic premise of religion, as one author puts it, is that if you live a good life, things will go well for you. Um, and that's wrong. And here's why he says it's wrong, because Jesus himself was the most morally upright person who ever lived. Yet he had a life filled with the experience of poverty, rejection, injustice, and even torture. A lot of us, although many of us who are watching would call themselves Christian, and in the way that we really operate, it's not based on the gospel, it's not based on scripture, it's not based on the life of Jesus, it's actually more based on karma. Deep down inside, we kind of just believe that God is gonna give us good things if we do well, and that God is gonna give us bad things if we do poorly. But when there's injustice like this, and when people get away for atrocities, it just doesn't make sense. And in some ways, that's an invitation for us to unlearn the, the way that we think the world uh, actually works. One of the most devastating things for me years ago 
uh, was when my late wife was in the hospital um, for cancer and we were in the oncology ward and we were in the elevator and we passed through the children's floor and there was a, about a four or five year old child who was walking with an IV pole um, who had been receiving chemotherapy. They were bald and uh, that child's mother did everything they could to hold back the tears and the look on her, that child's mother's face absolutely decimated me. Now, karma says good things happen to bad, good people, bad things happen to bad people. I would love for anybody to walk into that hospital and explain to all of those parents what their five-year-old has done so wrong to get a brain tumor. I would love for people to go to the families of Breonna Taylor and explain to her, her family what she has done so wrong to get gunned down in her own home. Part of the way that we need to process this is also to empty ourselves of the way we think the world uh, works or, or should work and is to reject this notion, this religious notion that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to, to bad people. And if you and I are gonna be followers of Jesus, we have to allow him to strip away from us the ways that we previously understood the world. One of the things that you see all throughout the, the Bible are, are men and women who followed God and there were points where they were just confused and the way that they thought life worked or should have worked the way they understood God just didn't match up and, and God had to come in and replace what they thought with the truth. Over and over again, Jesus in his sermons says, you have heard it said, but I'm telling you this. You have heard it said, do not do this, but I'm telling you to do this. Uh, Jesus was not just teaching people new information, he was also taking away from them uh, ways that we should not be processing the moment. And right now is an opportunity for us to unlearn some stuff. And one of those things is this notion that operates under the surface that we are operating with the sense that good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that just will not sustain us in a time like, like this. Uh, I think about um, Good Friday and the day that Jesus was crucified and how confused his disciples were. Nothing inside of them thought that the God of the universe, who was now, they believed to be um, uh, God in the flesh, was gonna be beaten and bloodied and beaten beyond recognition. It just didn't make sense for him to have suffered that way. But if we're gonna be followers of Jesus, um, then the ordinary life of a disciple will include periods of confusion and times of letting go of what we previously knew and understood about God. So number one, we have to pray really honestly um, and that's gonna really bring a lot of healing. Number two, we have to let go of what we thought we knew and what we previously understood and accept Jesus' invitation for us to, to unlearn some things. The, the third thing, uh, and I debated even including this in, in today's message because so many people are hurting, um, is humility. And why do I say humility? Humility is necessary because pride assumes that, that we know everything. And it really is valuable for us to pray honestly and with our raw emotions and bring all of our complaints to God. But we have to be careful that we don't arrive at the point to where we think we understand everything. And we have to allow for some space for faith, for us to trust God when things don't work. This past week, we were going through um, some scriptures in our early morning devotion. And one scripture really, really hit me as we read it. Um, it comes from Isaiah 45. And God is speaking to his people through the prophet Isaiah. And he says, I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God but me. I will strengthen you though you do not know me so that all may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is no one but me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. 
I make success and create disaster. I am the Lord who does all these things. Heaven sprinkle from above, let the sky shower righteousness. Let the earth open up so that salvation will sprout and righteousness will spring up with it. I, the Lord, have created it. And here's a scripture that I've been thinking about this whole week. He says, woe to the one who argues with his maker, one clay pot among many. Does the clay say to the one forming it, what are you making? Or does your work say he has no hands? What Isaiah was describing in the scripture is the act of a potter who is forming clay into something. And in the middle of, while the potter is working on the clay, the clay turns and argues with his maker and says, what you're doing doesn't make sense. The process that you're taking is the wrong one. And Isaiah says, woe to the one who says to his maker, um, what are you making? Or does, his, does your work say he has no hands? The accusation that people were making against God is that what God was doing was not useful. So potters created things that were either beautiful or, or, or useful, or sometimes both. And what essentially God's people do sometimes is we, we accuse God and we say, God, what you're doing is not beautiful or, or useful. Now, certainly when tragedies happen, when a pandemic happens, when killings happen, when death and disease and all these different things happen, we should not be saying, God, I'm just so happy and I, and I, you know, I, I thank you for everything that's happening. Um, we should be angry and frustrated and confused, but we have to be careful um, that we are not sitting in the seat where we think that we know everything. Now, this does not mean that we blindly accept everything and we dismiss our pain and dismiss our reality. It does not mean that, but it does mean we create space for faith. One of my favorite stories is in scripture in the book of Daniel, and there's three Hebrew boys who are about to go into this furnace. And there's this king who has told them, you need to bow down to me or else we're gonna throw you in the furnace. And they turn to the king and says, we believe that God can deliver us. But check this out. Even if he doesn't, we're still not gonna bow down. Their faith and their declaration is one that has given me so much um, encouragement and enthusiasm over the years because they weren't pretending to know everything. They just had faith that even if God doesn't do something, then he's still good. Now for us, humility gets us to that point to where we say, God, I, I pray for justice. I pray for justice. I pray for healing for our country, for our world in this pandemic. But even if you don't bring it, I'm, I'm still gonna follow you. That's what humility does. It doesn't dismiss pain or the realities, but it doesn't assume the seat that we know all things about all situations and it makes space for us to walk with God in faith. So number one, pray honestly. Number two, empty yourself. Number three, uh, really surrender yourself in humility. And number four is a, is a huge one. And this is what makes Christianity, Christianity is we, we look to the cross. One of my favorite authors says, Jesus himself is the main argument for why we should believe Christianity. It's not what God can do for you. It's not what God can protect you from. It's not what sense of this world that Christianity can help you make. I was reading a scripture in 1 Corinthians that really, really gave me a brand new look on life this week. Paul is talking and he says, for the Jews ask for signs and the Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. Yet to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God because God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. 
I want you to look at these, uh, these three concepts for a second. Paul says the Jews, uh, his people, they were asking for signs. So their understanding of God was that God, um, I'm going to believe in you based on your ability to do things in my life that I can see and that makes sense to me. That's what the Jews are seeking. The Greeks are seeking wisdom. They love to debate and sit around in circles and make sense of this world. Now, Jesus Christ is neither and Christianity is neither. Of course, Christianity will help you make sense of this world, but it is not primarily a set of instructions to help you understand the world. Of course, God wants to do things in your life and God does want to intervene, which is why God calls us to pray that he would intervene and do, and do things in, in our world. But Christianity is not primarily a, a way to manipulate this world, our material world, to get it to be the way we think it should be. Christianity is a person and namely a person who was crucified for us. What is so important about that? I mentioned this before, but years ago, when my late wife passed away, the most comforting thing for me was the ability to talk to people who knew and who could understand what I was going through. So I would talk to uh, other men who were, who were widowed and who had lost their, their, their spouses, and it brought me so much calm and peace and comfort, and I could receive their words with so much more weight because I knew they understood. What is Paul saying here? He's saying we preach Christ and Christ crucified. He's saying we're preaching a God who has come down, and this God has made himself so vulnerable to the point that he, he himself was crucified. What does this have to do with our moment right now? One of the things we should never form our lips to say against God is that, God, you don't understand. There's a pastor in Philadelphia who talked about all of the aspects of Jesus's arrest, his trial, and his crucifixion that were straight up illegal. Um, his, his entire arrest, the way they did it, the time of night that they did it, the lack of defense counsel that they did not allow him, hitting him in the middle of the trial, no public notice that was given to him, everything about his trial and his apprehension and his arrest was a miscarriage of justice. What does this tell us about the nature of God on the cross? It tells us that God himself knows what it feels like to endure a miscarriage of justice. There was a woman who wrote uh, an article in the Time Magazine and she was talking about her struggles in faith. And here's what she said. She says, while I was listening to some scripture, I suddenly realized something. I began to realize that Jesus did not just suffer for us, which he'd always been told growing up in church. He also suffered with us. Suddenly it hit me that Jesus Christ had been lynched by a corrupt criminal justice system. Jesus Christ knew what it was like to be under the lash. John Stott, an old theologian, once said something like this, in a world of injustice, I could never believe in a God without the cross. Because in a world of injustice, how could I believe in a God who was immune from it? When we look to the cross, we, we see a Jesus that understands what it feels, all of your emotions. So all of your angry prayers, God understands those. All of your frustration and confusion, in your confusion, God understands it. And this is a beauty of Christianity that is telling us that God himself, he came down and he understands. He's been through the, criminal, the, the corrupt criminal justice system. He knows all about it. He knows all about our sickness and he took it with him to the cross. So this week, I, I, I want you doing these four things. I want you praying really, really honestly. I want you to try to really empty yourself of what you thought you knew about God that 
is not adding up and is not fitting in this moment, is not helping you further in your faith. And I also want you to really look, up, look at yourself in the mirror and, and humble yourself that God, maybe I'm quarreling with you right now, I'm fighting with you and I'm telling you that what you're making is not useful, it's not beautiful because I know better. Maybe there's some pride in our prayers and in our position right now. And fourthly, I want us to look to the cross, to the, to the savior, to, to the God who has come down and experienced great injustice and yet he endured with trust. And this is the God that reaches out his hand to us. So this week I want us to really pray. And if your prayers are nothing more than God, I'm reaching my hand up to you and I need you to carry me through, then so be it. If your prayers are just angry prayers, then so be it. But eventually I want us to get to the point where we're looking to this cross, this thing that is a, it was a stumbling block um, to, to some people. But in this cross, we see this message of God's power and his commitment together. So do that this week. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, uh, even having expressed my anger today in, in, in this message, I, I feel lighter and more free and that the air has been cleared up in, in some ways. And I, and I thank you that you allow us to come to you with our full selves and that we can trust that you hear us and that you will not reject us. You're not going to smite us for being honest about ourselves. Lord, we pray for justice. We pray for you to come and to help us to make sense of all these things. But in the meantime, Lord, we're going to empty ourselves of what we think should happen. And I'm going to look to you on the cross, knowing that you understand where we're at. You understand it better than we do. So God, be with us this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.